If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. All of us are acting in our own best interests in terms of our own priorities all the time. All you have to do is figure out what the other person's priorities are and offer them resources in terms of those priorities. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I'm your host, Jason Campbell, and the guest that I have today is one of the most fascinating journeys when it talks about being in the spy industry. We're talking about an FBI agent. We're talking about someone who's done some leadership activities within the military. This man has now written several books, including his latest one coming up is Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. And what we're really going to dive into today is how do you actually predict other people's behavior when you come to the workplace and why is it so important to put some effort and time into doing accurate prediction and what can happen if you make that prediction wrong or you completely don't put efforts into this skill set but once you learn this you'll realize that you are much better equipped to navigate the world of business and any other world that you step into and robin dreek is going to walk us through this entire process robin thank you so much for joining us on the show hey thank you so much for having me jason it's exciting to be sharing it with you and your audience Robin, you have a fascinating journey and you've worked a lot in the FBI special agent program. You worked in as a chief counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. I mean, these are all things that you think you would see in a Jason Bourne movie. And so I thought we would kick this off on giving us a bit of an idea of like, what was your role within the FBI and how did that lead you into doing all these leadership trainings within corporations that led to these books that you're writing all about behavior prediction? It's really funny because first, it wasn't my goal in life to do what I'm doing. <laughs> when you fail at everything you try to do and you wind up where you're actually at and you embrace it, that's when you actually finally get good at something, I guess. But really, my job primarily was to recruit foreign spies. The funny thing is, is it's the toughest sales job on the face of the planet. Because think about it. My job was to sell a product and my product was American patriotism. And so I'm selling this notion, not even a tangible product, I'm selling this notion to foreign spies, <laughs> how many of those, which are typically foreign diplomats, you know, how many of those people do you think actually want to buy my product? And the second challenge of that is it's actually by treaty illegal for me to have a conversation and initiate a contact with them. 
they don't want to buy my products. I can't even talk to my potential clients. That's a tough sales job. And so it comes down to the simple truth that all human beings, and that is you got to develop trust and you got to develop relationships. And to understand human beings, it's really, really simple. All of us are acting in our own best interests in terms of our own priorities all the time. Whether you're selling patriotism or you're selling insurance, all you have to do is figure out what the other person's priorities are and offer them resources in terms of those priorities. And that's all my job was. My job is to figure out the priorities of others and see if I had resources that I could offer them. In reciprocity, I had things that were my priorities as well, which was national security. And if they were willing to share their resources in terms of that, then we can have a good relationship. Otherwise, we'll move on and do something else. So it's really, really that simple. And it's fascinating because anybody who's listening to this is going, wow, okay, you had to do these kinds of ideas around behavior prediction. And if you did it wrong, I feel like there would be some very interesting consequences. So you've kind of learned these skills playing on hard. <laughs> Luckily, you know, in the diplomatic world and spy world, it's a gentleman's game. It's an educated kind of game. They call it the difference between playing chess and checkers. You know, so I was at the chess level. Really, you're dealing with very intellectual, smart people that have been trained many, many, many years to do what they do to collect intelligence in our country. They're very good at it. And so my job was, you know, how do you develop trust in a relationship with one of those types of people? Consequences generally are more, I think, economic than anything in our country and our own national security, because generally my job was to protect proprietary type information, whether it was a confidential and classified or whether it's just research that a company spent billions of dollars putting together from some foreign actor getting it for a dinner in a movie or something as simple as that or a fine bottle of wine. So my job was to make sure that our infrastructure economically, militarily, whatever it is, was not compromised by foreign actors that do not have our country's best interests at heart. Wow. So let's dive right into how it comes to sizing people up in the workplace. So you obviously were doing it in a very sensitive area. I'd love to hear what were you able to translate from your activities there in companies and why was it so important for people to look into actively sizing people up? One of the assumptions I'd have is, are you just making judgments on people? How does this work? No, it's actually a fascinating follow on to my last book, The Code of Trust. And what I learned about all human beings is that our genetic coding or biology from thousands of years ago is really, really simple and basic. Like I already said, we're always going to act in our own best interest because of safety, security and prosperity that we're seeking for ourselves. And we're looking for clues from people around us. Do they value us? And do they want to affiliate with us? Because again, ancient tribal man or genetics are saying, if we're part of a tribe, the likelihood of us passing our genetic coding to others is much higher than if we're not. And so our brain rewards us chemically when we're being valued in affiliation with other people. So dopamine being released, serotonin, oxytocin and bloodstream, our pleasure centers are firing when we feel affiliated and valued by others. And so how do you do that? This is exactly what you do. When you seek the thoughts and opinions of others, when you talk in terms of their priorities, when you validate their thoughts, opinions, ideas, and priorities without judging them, and if appropriate, you empower them with choices. If you include one of those four types of things in everything you say or write, that entire conversation, that entire statement becomes about the other person and their brain rewards them chemically for that. So the whole point of me doing this was so I could build true, honest trust because I am anti-manipulation, I'm anti-subterfuge, no pretext, it's all straightforward because if there's any sense of even slightest manipulation, whether real or perceived, you will never have trust and you'll never have a relationship. So for me, it came down to why do you have trust? Because you need a good, healthy, professional relationship. And that's not just whether you're trying to recruit a spy, working inside your own family with your kids or your spouse or in the workplace. 
nothing in life moves forward without a healthy professional relationship. My favorite statement I love is, you can have the greatest genetics and biology on the face of the planet, but without relationships, you might as well be a moron on top of a mountain by yourself because you will never move forward without relationships. So what happened was I started understanding what other people were looking for in order to develop this trust by demonstrating that value and affiliation. And the more I understood that, wow, everyone's always acting in their own best interest for safety, security, and prosperity. Once I started taking the time to understand what they thought, not what I thought it was, but what they thought was in their own best interest, I could now predict what they're going to do. And what's the purpose of predicting the behavior of others? Easy. That's so I can manage my own expectations of what can I reasonably expect you're going to do so I won't ruin that healthy relationship with you. In other words, if I like you, which is a very subjective thing, if I like you, but I ask you to do something and you fall short of it, I'm going to have resentment, frustration, anger, all the negative emotions, and that relationship starts getting deteriorated. But now if I take time to understand what I can reasonably expect you're going to do because I focused on you, you're either going to hit that bar I set or it's going to be above. Now, the cool thing is because I took so much time to understand you and what I could reasonably expect, if you fall short of that expectation, I now know it's because something went sideways in your life. Again, I don't get emotionally hijacked. I don't have resentment. I just become a resource for you. So it's about understanding the other person for the whole purpose of, yes, predicting behavior, but so I can maintain a great, healthy, professional relationship with you. And I think a lot of people miss the mark on this because you've hit the nail on the head where initially when we started this conversation, I even had my own doubts. I was like, wow, are we going to learn how to manipulate people? But the way you explained it, you're actually showing the most amount of love and care because you actually spend the time to understand them. And it doesn't go around this one thing that keeps the whole conversation grounded is the assumption that everybody's doing everything in their own self-interest. And so even as you're demonstrating care, it's in your best interest, it's in their best interest, and it seems like it kind of lubricates the entire flow of communication and builds on that relationship. So I have these three core principles that I act by. And the difference between the means to the end, means goals are those things that are very tangible and very specific, like I want to sell this product, I want to get a promotion, I want to buy this new car. But realizing that none of those things will happen without the relationships first. And so I focus on the ends goals first. And so my three anchored ends goals, my number one is healthy professional relationships. I will always ask myself before I engage with anyone is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder a healthy relationship. Number two under that, open eyes communication with transparency because you cannot have a healthy relationship without that open eyes communication with transparency. And my third, and this is what you're just referring to, is I make myself an available resource for the success and prosperity of others with no expectation of reciprocity. So you become a resource for the success of others. And this is a leadership principle as well, because leaders are resources for the success of people around them. It's not even based on title and position. It's just based on this concept of inspirational leadership. And the key there is no expectation of reciprocity because I do because it's the right thing to do as a human being. Now, am I hopeful that they'll want to have a healthy relationship with me? And at some point in life, they might be a resource for my priorities? Sure but there's no subterfuge with it. I'm completely clear on what my priorities are. I'm completely hoping they're honest and clear what their priorities are, and I will do my utmost to bring whatever resources I have or what are the relationships I have to bear for them in the things that they're trying to accomplish. As I listen to this, these all seem like amazing qualities that I'd love to bring in my own personality as I communicate with others. And I can see how if I operate from this paradigm, it allows me to have better relationships with my colleagues, which means projects get delivered better, faster, with no resentment and all of these things that everyone doesn't want to have in the workplace. 
I can see how I can relate to my superiors as well as see how I could probably more than likely in the long term get some promotions and advance my career. And even as a company in a whole, everybody gets their needs met better because everybody takes time to understand each other. But I was going to say, the moment someone's looking to pick up a book or is listening to this podcast about behavior prediction and sizing people up, I feel like we're not at that level in our minds that this is the place that we're going to go. We're probably coming in from a place that's like, I'm having a frustration at work. Somebody doesn't understand me. I need to understand that person. Like It comes sometimes from this place of manipulation. And so how do you get somebody to step away from that idea that when you go through these steps that you will learn, to not manipulate, but to really shift into this higher level of consciousness, I would frame it as. It's pretty funny because it hits you like that. I believe I write for anyone at any stage of life in the sense of, hey, if you want to use this and try to manipulate someone, go ahead, but it's going to fall flat because every single principle in here has a check and balance to it because the entire focus, there's not one thing that I write about, about how to achieve success, how to win, how to be better than anyone. None of that's in there because none of that works. Your bosses, how to interact better with your bosses. Most people, when you first start a career anywhere, you're thinking the way to advance yourself is to make yourself look good. It's extremely self-centered. I was hands down. When I first got to New York and my job was to recruit spies, I thought the way to advance myself was to be the best spy recruiter I could. And I was going to get the best cases. I was going to do the best job I could. And I was going to be brilliant. But that's not how you do it. Because where's your team? Nothing in life happens without relationships. And so I was so focusing on self that I didn't realize in order to be successful at those means goals, those milestones along the way, you can't do it without that village. My last couple of years in the FBI before I retired, I actually stepped down from leading the team. I was the chief of our behavioral analysis program, and I went back to the street because I wanted to be closer to home for my kids in high school. So I was so grateful that, you know, I was no longer running the team, didn't travel as much, and I was five miles from home. And I remember I went to my boss, my new boss at the time, and I said, hey, thank you so much for selecting me. It was a select position, very hard to get position that I got. I said, thank you so much. I'm at the end of my career. I'm no longer trying to make myself look good. Help me understand. What are your goals and priorities? Where do you see yourself in five years? He told me his goals and priorities, what he's trying to achieve. I said, fantastic. I'm going to help you get there. And oh my gosh, the entire world flipped upside down. It was the first time in my entire career I consciously flipped. Instead of trying to think in terms of making myself look good, I consciously thought about how can I make my bosses look good in terms of what they think is important. I became a resource for their success and prosperity. And all of a sudden, everyone wants you. I could do no wrong because... I focused entirely on what their goals and priorities were. Granted, I knew what mine were, so I was always going to overlap. But it was that gold standard that all of a sudden, boom, life started getting easy. It makes me think of this fact that I was at a team retreat with Valley, and we were all sharing stories of things that were happening within the leadership teams and the managers. And there's one person as they were looking at everyone within their team and saying, like, who within your team is standing out as a potential leader within the organization? And this person, she basically said, I had this one person on my team after I did my one-on-ones with everybody and everybody was saying, well, I want more of this, I want more money, I want more priority, I wanna be more important, I want this, I want that. And that would be her standard one-on-one. She would sit with the people and they would all systematically list all of the needs that they had to feel happier in the workplace. And as a leader manager, she was understanding that, okay, what can I do to help them understand how they can get there? And this was her process continuously until one person she sits with just said, I'm doing really good. I'd love to know how you can be more supported and what I can do and doing exactly how you specified. And that person was the one that was identified as a potential new leader in the team and almost brought this person to tears. 
understanding that, wow, one person understood that as a team, they can all support each other and came from a place of giving instead of a place of taking. And so why is it that so many people fail to understand this, which becomes so much clear if you look at it from a 30,000 feet in the air. Of course, if you're going in and supporting your boss's priorities and aligning it, you're going to get recognized. Like, why is it so hard for us to understand that this is such a powerful tool? Sure. Again, let's go back to the genetic coding. When we're acting in our own best interest, we get some shots of dopamine going in the brain because we're doing things that we think are good for our survival. But what these inspirational leaders are doing, like this young woman you mentioned, some people are doing this intuitively. Others like me, I have to learn how to do it because my books I wrote are the manuals on how not to be the self-centered moron I was born to be. (laughs) But what happens is, is when you set that goal of being a resource for the success of others, when they become successful, you've achieved the goal. What goes on in your brain? Dopamine. And so now you become addicted to becoming a resource for the success of others. And that becomes your new dopamine hit rather than making yourself look good. So it's a shift. I mean, I was surrounded by great Jedi masters of this relationship and trust art form. And my job was to figure out, especially when I went to teach at Quantico for a good number of years, instead of using anecdote and subjective theories and stories, you had to make it linear. So it was really me giving the labels and meanings behind exactly what these people were doing in order to do that. Years and years ago, when I was still in the Marine Corps, my very first duty station, I was ranked last out of all the lieutenants. I was 14 out of 14, dead last. And I went to the guy in charge, my major, and I said, all right, sir, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? And he goes, you just need to be a better leader. I was like, okay, how? Tell me. And he goes, you need to make it about everyone else but yourself. I said, okay. Thought I was. How? He says, just do it. He had no clue. He was doing it, but he couldn't articulate exactly what he was doing. He was just a natural born leader. So my job became to figure out what exactly who he was talking about. It goes back to, he was always seeking the thoughts and opinions of others, talking in terms of their priorities, validating them without judging them in any way. Doesn't mean you're agreeing with, just mean you're seeking to understand. That's what validation is and you're empowering them with choices. You do one of those four things, you're demonstrating value and affiliation, people want to be around you. Oh my God, I'm taking notes here mentally because there's so much gold that you're saying right now that people are gonna listen and say, wow, yes, that makes sense. And now we actually have a bit of a blueprint on how to get there. And I think the big overlying arch here is start looking at how you can help other people and it naturally helps you and it makes the relationships better. This is a big theme I'm seeing right now. And I hope that people understand when they're listening to this, this is the kind of operating system that you need to adopt and look at how much better it's going to make it in your career advancement, but it's not the goal. But look at how much more joy you're going to have in the process of doing it because you even have those dopamine releases that are going to correlate with you adopting this new behavior. It's such a powerful system in the mind that people can adopt and I'd love to jump right into we're talking about sizing people up what are some of the common things we can jump into that people can start adapting now that they've acknowledged that I can care more about others then what are these typical things that people can look for and do better at when it comes to sizing people up first I'm going to give you two things that you can do right away with any engagement with any human being and that is first seek the greatness in others in other words Stop trying to figure out what's wrong with them because everyone's got something they're working on. I guarantee you that we're all messed up in something. Try to figure out what they're great at because when you start a conversation with anyone, it's going to be a little more challenging. You want to validate a specific strength, attribute, or action. So always be looking for something doing well. And also for everyone you engage, try to identify at least the top three priorities that person has. Make a mental note, write it down, whatever you got to do. Because you start doing those things, you're automatically going to start building greater relationships. Now, when it comes to assessing others, and being able to predict their behavior. Here's my six signs I'm looking for. Number one is vesting. 
Is this person looking for my success as well as their own? In other words, are they investing in me and my success? Number two, longevity. Are they looking for and they're using language for and giving examples of how they see this relationship professionally going beyond just a day or two? Are they talking about long-term goals, long-term actions, long-term projects? Three is reliability. Can they actually do the things they say they can do with competence and do they have the diligence to actually do it? Those are things that go on resumes, job-specific type things they're doing. Four is actions. I love actions because I call these past patterns of key behaviors. In other words, if I see you do something or act in a specific way two or three times, I can almost guarantee you're going to do it fourth and fifth and sixth times the same exact way. So I'm looking for patterns of behavior. Five is language. Language is so important here as well. In other words, I told you the four things I use in communicating. I'm seeking thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of their priorities, validating them without judging and giving them choices. Now, are they using those patterns of language with me? And sixth, emotional stability. I think it's the absolute key bedrock of everything. I'm looking for someone who doesn't overreact, doesn't have all these emotional outbursts, and is all over the place reacting to the world around them. I like people that are thinking and cognitive about the world around them. And like you said before, the emotion behind this, this is an incredibly empathetic system that I have because it teaches you how to focus entirely on the other person. But with all this objective observation, it makes you objective as well. Because when you're objective, you can be that resource for others without riding that emotional roller coaster. The term I coined in the new book is stempathy. It's a combination of stoicism, where you have a pure cause and effect without judging right or wrong, and then empathy because it's so focused on the other person. So this is my code of stempathy, basically. <laughs> That's amazing. I'd love to dig into one of these elements because what I've noticed in this pattern, we're talking about like vested, like, okay, I can see and you can recognize how much person is invested in the project and yourself and all those. So, okay, this one seems very logical. Same with the longevity. I can see this person is talking about, okay, are they on their way out? Do they want short-term gain for themselves or are they really invested? Perfect, reliable. You can see the predictability around that. You see the action, okay. Language, all of these come from all the rational. And I feel like if I start paying attention to all these individual things, I can actually start predicting better. Now, that last one, the emotional. I feel like this is a wild card that throws the whole model upside down. What is something you can give as an advice if ever you are dealing with someone that has less of the emotional stability? Because that seems like it actually makes everything else unreliable. It can. And the good thing too is you don't have to have all six signs to make sure you can trust someone. And first thing I also do is I redefine trust. Trust is very subjective. So it's this is predictability. Trust is a lot of people think liking someone means you can trust them. Just because I like you and you can drive a car well doesn't mean I'm going to throw you the keys to a plane and trust you to fly me around the world because there's got to be a lot of other things there. So this is about predicting behavior. But yeah, when it comes to emotional stability, everyone has moments where they're emotionally hijacked, where they have crazy brain going. Emotional hijacking is where your cognitive, thoughtful brain gets bypassed and reacts to the world. It's the fight or flight syndrome that kicks in. The best way to test and see if someone is able to come back from that is start asking what I call discovery questions. In other words, if I took time to understand what your priorities are and all of a sudden you get emotionally hijacked, you get frustrated, angry or something, I then ask you, it's like, hey, okay, Jason, you know, help me understand. You know, you said we're trying to get to this point right here. How is what we're doing right now with this helping us or hindering us from getting there? In other words, once I start engaging your brain thoughtfully again about what it is you're trying to achieve and get you thinking in terms of your actions towards that goal, you should be able to de-escalate pretty rapidly if you have that sense of cognitive thought. If you're not, okay, even if it takes you like 15 or 20 minutes to calm down, if you have the self-awareness to say, hey, listen, I'm a little upset about this right now, 
let's reconvene in 15 minutes. Hey, great, because that's showing self-awareness. So basically what all I'm doing is looking, do I have someone who is thoughtful, able to calm themselves back down and have self-awareness to realize, hey, I'm having a moment. You know, I have moments, you know, do not get in a car with me in traffic. I have lots of moments. <laughs> you know, I was born in New York, so I'm a very impatient driver. So I try to build in all these tools because I know that's when I'm emotionally hijacked. So that's also what I know. I should not be talking on the phone on Bluetooth doing business deals when I'm in the car because I'm probably going to be in a good frame of mind. <laughs> that is hilarious. And I love this aspect of self-awareness, especially if you're like right now we're talking about how to apply all this when you're looking at someone else. But it seems to me like if you're looking at yourself and you might realize that you're someone who gets emotionally hijacked, in essence, you can actually run the system on yourself to kind of get congruence as to where you are. And now when you communicate with others, you can actually tell them more truthfully and have that trust built because they'll have more predictability on you. Is showing your own predictability a big key step in being more vulnerable and just connecting better? Absolutely. Matter of fact, when I was bringing people on the team, I had two key questions. Well, I had a couple, but I loved asking people, tell me about your strengths. And when I ask you about your strengths, what I want to hear is I want to hear the tools and resources you bring for the priorities of the team. So in other words, talk in terms of your strengths in terms of the priorities of the group. And then the second question I have is, Tell me about your weaknesses. Tell me about your challenges. And what I want is I want transparency about your challenges, but I want to know your plan. I want to know what you're doing to overcome those things because no one's looking for perfection anyone. People want to know that you're making an effort because people that are secure in themselves have no problem with transparency. And that's why I'm very open with myself. You know, my books are my manuals on how not to be the moron I was born to be. 50 years ago. Matter of fact, you know, my first book, it's called It's Not All About Me. <laughs> my wife shows this to me at least once a week saying, hey, I got a good book for you to read, Robin. <laughs> I'd much rather work with someone who's self-aware, secure in themselves, because I know they're not going to try to hide anything, have any kind of subterfuge because they're ashamed of something. Dude, I'm an open book because you now know what you get is what you're going to get. That's why that second anchor, again, open honest communication, transparency, and that goes not just for the things I'm doing, but actually who I am as well. Because if you discover something new that I'm faltering in, I want to hear about it because I'm going to immediately start working on a tool to overcome that. I love it. And so I wanted to close this off because right now we just talked about how when you start operating with this other people focused mentality, it's not about manipulating when you start sizing people up. It's really about helping those people grow, being aware of what they're trying to do. Being a resource for them, yes. Yeah. And so as you do that, you can see how you can get an idea of, of where they stand on those six parameters in the framework. And then you can work that on yourself so that you can become a bit more predictable and sharing that with others. Again, makes you more predictable, makes you have a chance that people want to build that trust, allows you to grow your career in the process, move those projects forward. So everybody ends up being happier. Everyone seems to have less conflict as you do this. And I was going to ask finally, before I let you go, there's a lot of this thought around, you know, how control is all an illusion. And I feel like some people that might be looking into applying this are saying, you know what, why would I even do this? Because this whole illusion of control isn't real. Where does this actually balance within actually putting the efforts to size other people up? Yeah, you're totally right at control. Matter of fact, my definition of manipulation is any form of control, whether it's thoughts, actions, or time of another person with use of subterfuge or lack of transparency, because you cannot control anyone else. And an attempt to is manipulation. I mean, everyone knows this intrinsically. If there's even suspected attempt at manipulation, you'll never have trust. No trust, no relationship, no relationship, no movement forward. So this, this whole process about learning how to manage yourself and 
build those relationships. It's so funny being that hardcore type A I am. I always thought life was about convincing people to do things. And you can't because convincing is about me and what I'm trying to do. I think in terms of how can I inspire them to want to because inspiration flips it for myself. Inspiration becomes about them. And the only way I can inspire anyone to do anything is to understand what their priorities are. And again, be a resource for them in terms of those priorities. That's where inspiration comes from. I love it. Robin Dreek, thank you so much for joining me on the show here. And everybody listening, I hope you've really shifted your mind around how you can actually use the tools that we've talked about here, not for advancing yourself, not for your self-interest, really, because you're looking into the interest of others, you're playing a part of the team, you're managing those relationships because you know that overall, this is the lubrication that makes everything flow better. And yes, there will be positive outcomes that come into your life, but don't set those as a goal. Instead, learn how to predict others better. This will allow you to actually understand their needs better. And this is actually an act of care and love. And when you pick up this book, Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction, it's just come out. Pick it up. It's amazing. You're going to learn so much more about how to apply these tools. So thank you for listening. And Robin, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jason. And thanks everyone for listening as well. Hey everybody, Jason Campbell here, and you just listened to this interview with Robin Dreek. And make sure to pick up this book and look at all the literature that he has produced. It is amazing. And you've noticed that although you would expect this to be something about manipulation, it is anything but that. This man is teaching from a place of higher consciousness. And if you apply these tools, you'll realize that you will help yourself and you will help make the world a better place in the process. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and tell us what you like and share with any friends that need to understand this so that we can make the workplace better. You can make yourself better. And again, we're making the world better. This is Jason Campbell. Once again, thanks for tuning in and until next time. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.